Hello and welcome to series one of series six of the conversation with me, Amanda Decadene. And what an episode we're starting with. I spoke with the fantastic Lisa Rinna the day before her historic Cosmopolitan magazine cover came out. This is the first time in the history of Cosmo magazine that they have ever had a woman of age 60 on their cover. We spoke about what that experience is like. We spoke about aging. We spoke about grieving in public, about how her life has opened up in beautiful and surprising ways since she left the show that she was on for eight years, The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. We also spoke about the commitment and work it takes to be in a long-term marriage and raising daughters in public, cancel culture, sex, a bunch of good stuff. This was such a fun conversation and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Amanda. Good morning. You. Oh, I'm good. I'm good. How are you doing? Good. I'm good. How's, how's your morning been? Um, nice and calm, really. Actually, it's been nice. Good. It's nice to see you. I wish it was in person, but we're doing it on Zoom. It's all right. You know, I haven't done a podcast in, God, probably five years. Mm. Is that what? Is that is there a reason why? Yeah. Um. I while I was on the show. Um, anytime I would do a podcast, it was just like, um, throwing acid, you know, on the situation and it would become, you know, clickbait and anything I said, cause you know, for an hour to talk to somebody for an hour, you get a lot. Um, and it was just the worst possible thing. And yeah, I, I understand. Yeah, I hated it. And I just said, I'm not doing them. And yeah. I stopped doing them. Yeah. And to I understand. First First one I've done in a really, really, really long term. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. Well, I think, you know, obviously we've had some great conversations over, you know, Instagram. We have. Over the past year. And, you know, you made me feel safe enough to give it another try. Thank you. Well, thank you for trusting me. You're welcome. Um, So as you you mentioned, our interaction has been really around both of us navigating Greece and the death of your mother and my father. And that was the place in which we connected. So I really wanted to start with talking about that because during the period of time that my dad was dying, I really, really saw um, people in a whole different way. People that I knew, people that I didn't know. I shared some of that with you at the time, that it had been very sad for me that people that I was close to had distanced themselves and didn't really know how to deal with what I was experiencing. And then there were people like you who were kind and supportive and compassionate and who reached out to me and said, I see that you're really struggling and can I share some of my experience with you and how can I support you? And you were one of those people. So I want to thank you, first of all, for reaching out because it meant a lot to me. And, and there were moments where I really was struggling and it was very reassuring to hear from someone who also had similar experiences. Well, I was moved to, you know, you reach out to people when you feel moved to do so. And, you know, it was such a raw 
year for me. And in doing, in going through it in the public eye, in, in a public way, was more brutal than I could have ever imagined. And I think that that pain and vulnerability that I felt just made me reach out to anyone that I had any connection to that had been going through it just as a lifeline in some way, because unless you've gone through it, you don't understand it. You really, really don't. Yeah, you you cannot know. And I think, as you said, that extra layer of grieving publicly, which you did, I would love for you to talk a little bit about what that experience was like for you. Um, You know, you never expect grief. You don't know how to go through it because we're really not taught anything. Again, just like parenting, where we're just talking about raising teenagers, you're just not taught it. But something you go through as yourself as a teenager, you see, you know, my grandparents had passed away. I saw my mother and father grieve in their own way, but not really. I had nothing to really compare it to. When I had met my husband, he had already lost both of his parents. So he had already gone through that experience. So I was really on my own. Um, And then to go through it, as I'm filming this show that is is not the safest environment to begin with, right? It's it is there's nothing sure. safe. Sure. You know, there and listen, I'm not here to say that I'm not here to judge it. It is what it is. I signed up to do it. I did it and and I happened to lose my mother at the time. Sure. And I think I've thought about it a long time. I I had a lot of therapy. I reached right out to a therapist. Um during the time. But what I, what I have really gathered is people don't want to see you going through grief because it's way too deep. It's way too uncomfortable for them to experience because it brings up their own mortality, mortality and what they've gone through if they've had loss. And so what I noticed was the whole fan base and the whole group of women that I was working with mostly turned against me and pushed me away because it was just too painful. It wasn't about me. It was yeah. about I was showing them the pain of grief and it's just too much and it's not what you want to tune into. You want to see the Beverly Hills ladies being ridiculous, fighting, whatever. You do not want to be reminded of your pain and your grief, period. You do not want to be reminded that the only inevitability is that we're all going to die. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes, no. And so what I found was they got really mad about it. They being the fan base. And they didn't know why. I don't think they understood why they all of a sudden hated me, couldn't stand me, wanted me off the show. Listen, I, I've been a very controversial character on that show for eight years. I can honestly tell you, I don't think I did anything different this past year or the year I ended the show that I'd done any time before. It's probably the least controversial you've been navigating grief. That's as real, that's as real and grounded as you can get. I mean, I just think you're right about that, but it pushed a button in everybody and they really were fucking pissed off about it. They were so mad. So you, what did that look like? How did that manifest? Um, it manifested in a great deal of social media hatred. Like bullying? Like bullying, like death threats. Oh, wow. Like really intense, like mm. than I'd ever seen. Listen, I, again, I've been very controversial 
I have pushed that boundary further than most people have pushed it on that show. I've done my job. I did my job really well. I could not figure out why they turned so greatly during that time. And I can only come up with, it was too painful for them to see it and feel it. And they were like, you need to go. That's too much. And so I got this barrage of hate and vitriol that I'd never seen before. And I've seen a great deal of it, but this was another level. And I also think it's, you know, where we are in society and what's going on in the world. It was like this perfect storm of hatred. You held up a mirror. I did. And that's what our show does anyway. I think all these shows hold up a mirror. But I really held up a mirror and said, this is really what's going on. It's not cute. I'm really fucking mad as we talked about the rage of it all, which I never did. I never connected that. And I raged over there on everyone. And nobody really understood it. No, nobody, meaning the cast members, never really went, okay, wait a second. Rena's really fucking losing it here. Even when you saw me really fucking lose it. It was that I was attacking them and they just didn't know what to do with it. And they didn't know how to handle it. It's almost like a psychologist needed to prep the other people about what you were going through and how to best support you. Because I liken death to, um, it's like a room in your house that you always know is there, but you've never gone into it before. And suddenly, you, you're, the door is open and you're in the room and you're like, whoa, this is a new world. How do I navigate this space? And all of us who deal with this, you know, aren't, ex- most of us aren't experienced, but sadly the people around us, and it sounds like that, that the crew of ladies that was around you could have done with some insight and support and education about how to support someone who's grieving. Yeah. It just, it's something that was it too much. And, and it's too bad that we weren't able to have the conversations during that time that I think we needed to have. Well, you wanted to. I remember you saying to me, I don't know if I'm going to talk about this, but I want to talk about these things because this is what's going on with me. And I think the invitation to have a conversation about death is so invaluable, especially on a platform that reaches so many people who are all going to be dealing with it. Every single one of those viewers will have to deal with this moment. It's the only inevitability. We're born and then we die. It's how, you know, we have life, but the only other inevitability is that we're going to die. So let's help educate people. And I will say that there were plenty of people that reached out and said, you helped me so much. And I do the same thing. And I had no idea there was going to be so much rage. So there was a great deal of connection to the people that really saw it, because there were a lot of people who saw it. And and needed it at that time. And what was the experience like for you, separate from how you were, how it was for you at work? What was the experience like for you with, with your mother's passing? Well, it was just the most horrific time, you know, of my life. It was the absolute worst year, obviously, just the worst year of my life. But you know, my father died about eight years ago now, and that was hard. But this rocked my world in a way that, you know, obviously I'm still dealing with it. I, I, I am too. Yeah. You know, we're still dealing with it. Luckily, yeah. I've had this past year to really sit in it and really 
be in the moment with it because when you're busying yourself and all the distractions that we do so that we don't have to, I mean, I yeah. I'm trying not to grieve. Um, and I think it's just a natural, a natural thing that we do. We just, nobody wants to feel that kind of pain all the time. You it's know? intense, isn't it? I mean, I like you, when I talk about last year for me, it was the first year in my life that I gave myself permission to not work constantly. In fact, I sort of took a year off. I did, I did my, my series. I did the conversation, but I gave myself that year to really come apart if that's what I needed to do. That's and so healthy. I, I knew that if I didn't stay current with it and I stuffed it down, that it would come back to, you know, take me out again. Of course. And, and I too, like you last year, it re, it, it, it fra- the death of my father fractured me. Me, yes. Right. And in, and, and it's a slow coming, putting yourself back together with this very different perspective on everything. Very, very different. Beautifully said, because you become a different person. You're yes. never the same. Never. never the same. No. Never the same again. And in a great way, also, like yes. it changed me and opened me up in a way that made me, I think, bring things into my life that I never would have until that happened. What are some of those things that, that you brought in? Well, I think, you know, I needed to leave the show mm-hmm. and it forced me to leave the show. Mm-hmm. Knew that that was no longer going to serve me in mm-hmm. any And I had to go. And I don't think if my mom hadn't passed, I would have left. I would have stayed there because it becomes comfortable. It becomes close. If it becomes what you know. So that's the first thing. You know, leaving a job that you've had for eight years is scary. Scary. You know, whether it's good or bad or whatever it is, it's it's very scary. Um, but I knew I had to in order to, like you said, take the year, whether I worked or not, to really experience and feel these feelings. Yeah. Whatever it looks like. Yeah, same. So I went at it like that. And then it was not three weeks after I had left the show that I got a call from my publicist who said, how would you like to go to Paris in four days? And I thought, I would love to go to Paris in four days. It was to go to a fashion show uh, for Kenzo. And they were going to fly me and my publicist put us up. And I thought, yes, I'm just going to start saying yes to whatever comes. That's what I'm doing. I'm doing it too. I'm saying yes to things yes. that I that that come forward. I yes. like it's like you create the space and you allow whatever comes in. I I I, des- I describe it as following the threads. Oh. Oh, there's a thread. Oh, there's a thread. Let oh, me just follow this thread. Well, that's exactly what I did last year. And it was brilliant. I have to say, I didn't manifest it. I didn't plan it. I put nothing out there when it was like, okay, I want to do fashion now and I want to go to the shows. And I went like nothing, zero. All I did was say yes. And then I just kept saying yes and following the threads, which is beautiful. Oh, I love that. And what has that opened up inside you? Ah, well, a freedom. I think, you know, my body just went, ah, it opened up not only because, you know, I have fought so hard in a sense to like, get to where I am in this business and this 
this work life. Yes. Not in life itself. In this, you know, figuring out my psychosis and like just everything. Sure. Just to get where we are right now. I fought hard and I hustled hard and, you know, really worked hard. And I think this is the first time in my life where I let myself be for the first time. And in letting myself be, other things were able to present themselves to me that were much more than I'd ever even dreamt of. So it's been a very positive thing. And I've just followed the threads. And it has led me to some of the greatest things that I could have never imagined doing in my life. It's incredible, isn't it? I mean, we've had Mm -hmm. very um, parallel experiences, it sounds like. And you know, I, I sort of have come to the point of, of, of thinking that the, the parting gift that my dad gave me was myself. Same. Same as my mom. Same. How about that? Right? Yes. And like, how did that happen? It just. Yeah. Happened. It, it, yeah. I've been thinking about it as well. And I, I've come to the conclusion that. In his death, it cracked me open in a way that I had never been cracked open before, quite like this before, to the point where it was like almost everything burnt down to the ground. And what was left was my marriage, my relationship with my kids, a bunch of friends got burnt down. Same. You know, aspects of my career got burnt down. And it was like, oh, it was like the phoenix coming up from the embers again and you know the 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 looking at what's left i'm still kind of sifting through and going oh that's there huh do i want to nurture that or do we leave that in the dust you know like i'm really assessing and kind of beginning to re recalibrate myself in this new form and i don't really it's not fully formed yet as you said it's 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 ongoing you know But the gift in that is that every single thing that I do, every person in my life, my relationships, everything I put my hair into with my work is so authentic to me. It fits me today. I could not say it better. I could not say it better than you just said it. It is 100% the same for me. I, I mean, when you, I think when you, when you make a decision out of a great, loss like that because for me leaving the show was was the biggest part of that like leaving huge loss absolutely you're grieving so much you're grieving the last your identity who am i without being identified as being that woman on that show i am no longer her daughter it's these things that are identifying markers that were that are either we're walking away from or yes we're leaving we're stepping away from that and saying who am i without that it's Which terrifying. is terrifying. It's terrifying. And it's really big. And it's also really, really exciting. Yes. For me on yes. some levels, because I left a very powerful, strong world that really identified me during that time. Not necessarily who I really am, but that put an identity on me that, that the world looked at and, and judged in a certain way, which is what they do in that world. And I understand that, but I didn't necessarily like it because it wasn't my authentic self. It, it's not who I am. 
completely. And so I think when you have a great loss, like losing a parent, it, it shakes you into, okay, you can't be false anymore. You cannot live a lie. You can't. Yeah. You have to fucking figure it out. And if you're going to continue to live a lie, you will be miserable. And it just seems that there's no time left for that, if that makes sense. It makes complete sense. Every The value of time, because I know for me, my dad's death, it, it was, there was no denying that we have a finite amount of time here. And you also, I mean, let's, you turned 60. I turned 51. It's midlife. It, it, is. it is the, the reality that we have, however long we have left here. And what do we want to do with that time? And yes. that's what it also put into focus for me, which is, oh, I need to be really intentional in a whole other way because this, there's an end date to this. And I, I don't know when it is, but I think we're actually right on track for being women who are in the middle phase of our lives. Yes. And, and the mortality, your mortality just goes like this. It just, you know, you have to take a look at it and you have to, you know, turning 60 is also, it's, it's quite a turning point in, in life because then you're, you're going into your third chapter or however you want to yes. look at it. And you never imagine yourself there. You always look to your parents and, and people in your lives and you think, well, they're old or they're, you know, at that point. And then all of a sudden you're at that point. Mm-hmm. And so it's all, you, you're the oldest. You're the oldest. Yeah. I'm the oldest. Yeah. I'm an empty nester now. The kids are gone. Like it's so freaky on so many levels, but it also makes you go, okay, but let's, let's turn this page in a way that's not the same. I don't want to be a 60 year old woman that just goes, okay, you know what? I've done it. There's not much more I can do. And they, and you just go away. I'm not going to go away. I'm not going to stop being authentic, whatever that looks like. I have years to go. Well, I, what I hear is that you've experienced an invitation to deepen living your authentic self. That's what I hear you being committed to doing. Absolutely. And, and you don't necessarily think that that's going to happen at this point. Right. You know what I mean? Because again, in our society, you're on the, you're on the, you're on the end. You're not in the middle. You're in the middle to the end. You're not, you know, you're not in the beginning. You're now over here. Well, I think it's also an interesting opportunity to redefine what it means to be a woman who is 60, who is entering her third chapter, because there are not many examples of women who, you know, who go into that phase who are doing it differently. And I know that you are. I want to talk about the Cosmo cover. It's called Sex After 60. First of all, I love that you are a woman who is 60, who's on the cover of Cosmo, which typically has a very young demo. I think that was a big deal, right? Big deal. Huge. Huge. Really huge. And that you're talking about your age. You're celebrating your physical body. You're celebrating your perspective. And I read the article. I thought it was fantastic. Um, yeah, I really, really did. Um, I, I want to touch on some of the things that you talked about. Um, one of them being menopause and that our hormones change and that means that our libido changes and it's supposed to. 
because yes. we're not ovulating and trying to get pregnant and having this huge pull to have sex. And it becomes less front and center. And it's supposed to for a reason. That's right. That's, that's why we go through menopause. Right. But as a woman who has been centered, I know for me, my desirability has been a big aspect of who I am. And so coming into this new phase that I'm in, I am, I'm navigating the world as a woman who isn't using my sensuality as the only thing that's interesting about me. Right. And that's an adjustment, personally. Interesting. Yes. I mean, I think that in our business, when you're in the public eye like we are, I mean, it's about sex sells. Sex sells. It's the number one commodity in the world. It just is. It just is. Period. End of story. That's the way it is. So how do you go from that? Because it. this is what we do. That's the facts. Yes. That's the facts. That's what we've chosen. So how do you continue to go through your life and ebb and flow in a way that you don't have to have that front and center? It can still be there. You can still pull it up when you want, but it's not the driving force. Yes. It's not the how driving do, force. Yes. So how are you navigating that? I'm just doing it. I'm just literally, again, saying yes to what presents itself presents itself in this time, in the present moment. I am 60 years old. I am a woman who is 60. Now, do I look like I'm 60? Probably not, you know, and nor do I want to. Yeah. That's my choice. And however you want to do that, more power to you. Yes, absolutely. I want to do it my way. Um, I love expressing myself. I love to find ways and new ways or old ways, however I want to, to express myself. And I think it's about that. I don't think it's about, I want to be the most beautiful woman in the room or the most sexual woman in the room. No, I want to be my most authentic self in the room, whatever that means. Yes, I completely agree with you. I have been writing a book called A Guide to Your Authentic Self, which, you know, I'm definitely going to want to include you in because I'm interviewing women who live authentically. I think it's really important to have role models and have women out in the world who are living authentically because it's not easy. It's much, it's easier said than done with the barriers that exist. That's right. You have to be willing to face adversity. You have to be willing to not be liked. That's right. You have to let go of what people think about you. Yes. In service of living truthfully. That's right. And that is what's difficult about it. Yes. And I do it. And I continue to do it. And I think I also continue to do it as a as a way so my children can see that you don't have to live in fear. Um. They look at me and go, okay, my mom, she takes a hit. She'll take a punch because I know that's who she is. Now, they know. I mean, they know who I am. They watch. They see. I don't think it's a bad thing to show your girls, especially, that you can be whoever you want to be. And that's whatever it is. If you want to show your body, show your body. If you want to express your way in a, in a safe way. Now, 
I'm not talking about anything that can bring danger to you. But if people are going to call you, you know, call you names, come after you, whatever, that's okay. But you also have to have the ability to be resilient. And what you're talking about with some of the experiences you've had with, you know, public attacking and bullying, that also requires a certain amount of of kind of thick skin because it's hurtful. I don't know that I could handle that. I did have that as a teenager living in the UK, and it was really damaging to me because I was so young. I hadn't yet kind of refined who I was, and it, it, in its words and perspectives that really wounded me for many. It was years of therapy to heal. Really, so I think as young women, it's it's really even harder to go up against these barriers because it's the pushback is painful. It's it's really painful. Um, but I continue to do it. It's so interesting. Yeah. Why? Some of the most, you know, horrific stuff come at me. Um, because I don't want them to win. I mm-hmm. don't I don't want them to stop me. It's not their job to stop me. I'll stop myself in however I want to, but it's not their job. I won't. I've done things where I have been let go of jobs because I've called out, you know, major people. There, there are things that I've done that have hurt me financially, and I wouldn't change it for a fucking second. I wouldn't uh-huh. change it because I have that. I'm able to have my, um, I don't even know the word. It's like I, I can sleep really well at night. Because I don't worry about, you know, changing myself to please people. What I a mean, gift. What a gift. Well, a gift. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's like a double-edged sword, though. It really is a double-edged uh, sword. I, I know. I have the same thing. But I have the end, same thing. Okay, so you understand. At the end of the yeah. day, I can put my head on my pillow and sleep at night. And yes, there are things that I've done that I have apologized for and I don't feel good about. Well, you're human. Human beings make, make bad choices at times. It doesn't mean they're a bad person. They just make a bad choice. Yes. And I think we've all done that. And I don't think we're allowing anybody to do that right now. And that's a big part of the problem, that you cannot fall down and you cannot fuck up. You can't. Well, it's, it's unfortunately, that is, if you look at the nature of how we learn, we learn by falling down. I- Yes, I know. And there is no space to do that. And so how can people learn? It's actually paralyzing people where they're not taking risks and they're not, and therefore they're not growing and learning and expanding because of the cost of making the wrong choice, which as a young person is inevitable many, 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 many times is too high. It's too, too high, high for them. I know. And, and I worry about all the children, all the teenagers, Same. all the young people right now growing up in this world of cancellation yes it's terrifying to me um you know obviously i i get myself right to the line many times i have and haven't been completely canceled but i know what the feeling is and it's terrifying for these kids and that makes me sad again you know as a parent you you try to help your children and you want to fix things for them but we know that that's detrimental to them. Yes. We, know that we have to let them fall and we have to let them fail, right? Yes, we do. So somehow we have to bring that back to society because I really think it's stunting everyone right now. 
I agree. And actually, you know, Gen Z is the generation that is having the least sex because I think they are very confused and they're afraid of saying, not saying the right thing or doing the wrong thing. And now you've got kids who are unsure about how to even approach somebody they're attracted to because they're afraid that they're going to get called, you know, an assaulter, which sounds extreme, but this is actually what's going on in their heads. I've spoken to many, many kids about right. it. And that's worrying. It's that's worrying. worrying. It is. It is worrying because how do you express yourself? How do you share? If you're afraid of being judged, of doing the wrong thing, of being canceled, of being, you know, all of it. Like, how do you, how are you your authentic self if you're afraid? You cannot be. And that you have, that's why people find other people who are similar to them through mostly the internet. And that's where you have kind of marginalized communities who are separated from one another because they don't know how to interact with people who have different political opinions or who have different perspectives on gender. Maybe they're, they're polarized or whatever it is. It's, it's very, there's more isolation than connection today. And that's what I'm observing. And it, it worries me having, I've got my kids at 17 and I think, how are they going to have relationships? How are they going to make friends? Like, how, how does this work today? Yeah, I, I have the same questions. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. We're in process. Yeah. You know, we'll see how this plays out, right? How do, you, how do you raise daughters in this culture? How have you kind of communicated with them about how they can navigate? You're a strong woman as well. And you're powerful. You're beautiful. You're smart. You're insightful. My kids have told me that's a lot to have a mom like that. And I'm like, I think well, so. Yes. There's upsides and downsides, right? Yes, I think so. I mean, I, I, I think of that a lot. It is what it is, though. You know, it is what it is. And I think that, you know, Harry and I have tried to just lead by example. I mean, what else can you do? Talking to them, having an open door of communication, of being honest about how you're really feeling, giving them space to come to you and talk to you is really important. And you hope that they will. I think Harry and I staying together has been truly amazing for them up in Los Angeles yeah. in the world. I think that's probably one of the most positive things that we were able to give them is we stayed together. Well, you're all together for 26 years, right? 27, yeah. Okay, so I'm in my 24th year with mine. Maybe we have the longest marriages in Hollywood. <laughs> right up there. We're right up there. Uh, along with raising kids, being married for this length of time is the other thing that has taken the most commitment and the most amount of work on both of parties. Of course, they don't just happen. You don't just stay together. No, it's you know? a choice. It's a choice. And it takes work. And I think that the girls having this safe place, because it is a safe place, and most of their friends growing up, no one stayed together. No one's parents stayed together. Everyone was of divorce. So I think that that has a lot to do with it. I mean, obviously, listen, I am, I am a strong presence. I'm also, I think, somebody that they can feel like, because they've seen what I've done, they can come to me and say, okay, what about this? Or I think you're crazy here. Or 
I feel this. They, they're able to come to me, I think, because I'm so out there in a mm. sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Have, has there been things over the years, and I'm sure there have, that your, either one of your daughters has come to you and said, this aspect of who you are is really problematic for me? No. Really? I know you think so, right? Wow. <laughs> no, you, I don't mean, I don't mean, I just mean all no, mothers, no. all mothers. I mean, I'm just surprised. You know? I mean, we've had, you know, obviously you have moments of, you know, I need you to be a bit more understanding here, or I need you to hear me, but not in a sense of, you know, this part of you is too much for me. I handle like, you know, because most people come to me about, oh my God, your kids must be so horrified by you dancing, like a silly thing like dancing on Instagram. And they'll go to their kids and, and they'll say, you know, you must be so embarrassed by your mother. And then, of course, I, I listen to see, you know, what they say. They're not embarrassed. No, no. You They're your daughters. That's a celebration of you. Yeah. They're like, but that's my mom. You know, that's who she is, whether she's doing it on Instagram or in the house. In the kitchen, yeah. Kitchen. So I don't think it was anything like, oh, my God, it's so embarrassing. I think they see how much joy it gave me to do it during the time, you know, it came during pandemic when we were locked up. And I think they see what I do as pure joy It's what I, whatever I do, they see me having a good time doing it. So it's not like, oh my God, it's so embarrassing and horrifying. I mean, of course they get a good chuckle out of it. Or if there's something that I have done that they don't like, and we'll do this on both sides, they'll be like, you got to take that down. Right. Like, we can't post that. And I, I'll do the same to them. Like we have each other's back when you need to, but otherwise let people celebrate and let your kids celebrate. And I guess let your mom celebrate too. Were your kids on the show at all? Oh yeah. Oh, they were not a whole lot, but from the time they were 13 and I think I started the show when they were like 12 and 15. Wow. Imagine that. Yeah, really formative years. How do you think being on the show and being exposed to the public at those formative years has imprinted on them? Well, I mean, probably we've fucked them up, you know, beyond, you know, just being just being parents. I mean, I always say all that. Parents, all parents fuck their kids up. I'm sorry. That's just the way it goes. Yeah, everybody does. Everyone does. No one doesn't. No one doesn't. Yeah. So it's like, what level have yeah. we your kids up? Um, they are surviving. They're successful. No one's gone to jail. No one's overdosed. I mean, I can laugh at it, but at the end of the day, I think they've turned out to be beautifully grounded, loving, kind human beings. Mm. You can do that. That's a success. It's a success. So that's the way I look at it after growing up in Beverly Hills, because that's where they lived, um, being on the show, having your parents in the public eye, it's all they knew. You yeah, know? yeah. It's not like, oh my God, my family, and oh my God, the show. They were aware of everything, but it's their life. It's what they grew up in. So it's not anything like, oh my God, this just fucked me up more than, you know. Janie down, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, in a weird way, it's also prepared them to have their own careers. Your daughter, Amelia, is a, has become a really successful model. 
which is really hard to do. Very, very hard to do. So she's obviously learned work ethic. She's obviously learned how to show up, be professional, do her job. And being a kid who grew up on, you know, with the life she's had, it prepped her to be able to not get sideswiped by her own career. I think so. And and we taught them kindness. You know, we taught them that that's the most important thing because it really is. It is. Being nice to everyone. I say that. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to go back and talk a bit about long-term marriage because, um, as I said jokingly, maybe we have some of the longest marriages in Hollywood. I found it interesting that the woman who interviewed you in your Cosmo story was asking you about whether you have less, less sex in your marriage. And I felt like you addressed that in a really beautiful, healthy way. She basically said to you um, in a polite way, like, does your husband have a problem getting a boat? I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I, know, I couldn't believe it that I read that. You yeah, know, sure. I, um, I, was, I was a little taken aback by that. Even I was a bit like, whoa, OK, you handled it really beautifully. <laughs> I mean, if he did have an issue, it then we'd have another conversation. But yeah. luckily... He doesn't and he hasn't. So that's not part of the conversation. But it's real interesting. You know, she was 73. Which yeah, I looked her up because I was like, who is this woman? Right? It's fascinating. I mean, she, I was actually excited to talk to her because, number one, we're talking about sex after 60 and all of that. And I thought, how interesting to have a, a woman who's actually, you know, 13 years older than I am. Yes. For this. And I really pr- appreciated that. Yeah. You know, and a woman that's not on hormones and didn't go down the same road that I did. I thought it was a fascinating way to have this conversation. Well, I think there's immense value in multi-generational storytelling. Yeah. And, and as we know, unfortunately, in our industry, when women hit kind of 35, 40, they're considered less viable, less desirable, less interesting, when actually that's the age we're really beginning to come into our own. I love that a woman who was older than you was interviewing you, but I was also fascinated by the questions. The questions were great. I mean, I, I went in just as open as I could possibly be because, first of all, for Cosmo to do this is such a big deal. I mean, this magazine is not about 60-year-olds. No. It is not. Far from so it. The fact that they took this moment, because it's a moment. I mean, no one has ever been on the Cosmo, the cover of Cosmo at 60 years old. Yeah, you're the first. You've got a first. That's crazy. Yes. And I, I, think, I think it changes the game. I do. It, even just a tiny bit. I don't know whether it'll change it a lot. It changes it a tiny bit because all of a sudden, somebody is 60 years old on a cover of a U.S. magazine. One of the biggest, one of the biggest magazines ever. And it's youth-focused. It's always been youth-focused. Always. and so in, it is a big deal. Yes, Helen Gurley Brown is not around right now. No, no. and Helen Gurley Brown, for, for listeners who don't know, was the woman who uh, was the original editor-in-chief of Cosmo magazine and one, was one of the pioneers in women's media. And she was an anomaly. And we don't really have anyone like that anymore. No, not at all. And she brought sex to the conversation. She, she really did. on a mass level. So I'm so I'm so excited and I'm so honored to be part of this moment because it is a moment. It changes the game. It moves the needle a little bit. And that's 
that's what we're trying to do. Move the needle a little bit. And what, well, one of the things you talked about was, um, which I wanted to ask you about was, um, you know, and I know for myself, I don't like the idea of scheduling sex. It's very difficult with a busy life to suddenly be like, oh, Friday at two o'clock. Um, let me wake my vagina up now for some, you know, action with my husband. And you talked about going to a hotel or, you know, making time. And I wondered how that worked for you because I really struggle with this. I'm finding this well, very difficult. I, I mean, for us, you know, we're busy. We yeah. have a lot going on. And like people get sick, you know, I just had COVID and then Harry just got sick. Like there's so much that goes on, right? So if you, and, and again, it's not like, okay, it's Friday at two, let's go have sex. It's like, get excited about it. Let's, let's plan something. Let's go away. Let's go for a night somewhere and, and get excited about it. Make it a moment right. as to just having it happen, which is also great too. But I think it's fun to prepare and, and make it like going out, like having fun, like a date night even. Right. Like right. Because over time, I mean, when you're with somebody for so long, you know so much about them. How do you keep discovering things that are exciting? How do you do that? Good question. I mean, I think people are so, they're so interesting. Like to me, Harry's so interesting. And there's always going to be something that I don't know. There's always going to be something surprising wow. if I stay open to it. Right. That's the key. If you stay open to it. I think it's when we close off and we get so like into our own heads. I mean, I just, I kind of noticed it the other day and I kind of thought about it in those exact words. I thought, you know, I'm still so curious and I still learn so much on a daily basis from him if I allow it. Yeah. If I allowed him in and that's the key, that's the key. And that's the hardest thing to do because you, you have been around each other for so long. And I think that door just kind of closes naturally. And it's like, how do you keep the door open? And I'm just, I'm expressing this to you for the first time out of my mouth. I've never sure. said this. Yeah. I kind of thought it and thought about it last week. And so I share that with you. And, and it's a practice. You know, I think what I hear overall, what I hear you expressing is a lot of very intentional, mindful choices. You sound like a woman to me who is really conscious. You're not acting in a way that is unconscious. Whoops, how did this happen? Or I don't know. I'm just, you're, you're being very intentional about your children, about your career, about your, your um, relationship, about how you're moving through life. There's a real awareness of self that is um, so refreshing to hear. Well, thanks. I, I worked hard on that. I, I really have. Yeah. I've worked for many, many, many years on being self-aware because yeah. I think the most important thing. I really it is. It is. It's, it's, also, really, it's the only thing we have. It's the only thing. Otherwise, life is happening to us. That's right. And and I'm I am not someone who is about blame. I always know that I have a part in everything, and it starts with me. And I think that we're not taught that. We're not taught that. No, we're not 
taught to take accountability. And what that ultimately does is it disempowers us because we think that we then don't have agency to make changes. If we know that we are ultimately responsible for everything, Everything. it's down to us how we want to behave, the choices we want to make. We have freedom of choice. How do you want to make those choices? Yes. And I stand by that 1000%. I stood by that when I did that show. I've always said you have to be accountable. You, you have to hold yourself accountable. And that's very hard for people. They don't want to hold themselves accountable. Well, no, it, it, it's, it's a lot of emotional labor to take ownership, especially when you make a choice that isn't a great choice yes, or you and, hurt somebody or whatever it is. And, and you have to be able to say, I didn't make a great choice. I hurt somebody. I don't like that. I'm sorry. That's how you keep moving, I think. You get yes. in the other. Yes. And it's, it's about repair. We're all going to make bad choices because we're human. But how do you repair and move on? That's right. I think that's what it's about personally. I am really excited to see what this next phase of life is like for you as someone who has kind of observed from a distance. I hope I'll get to observe from a little closer perspective. And I'm really excited to see what you choose to do and where you choose to spend your time. I think it's going to be a really incredible uh, time of life for you. I feel like that, you know, Yeah, feel like that's happening already. You know, there's really interesting things that I'm getting to do that I didn't think I'd get to do at this mm-hmm. point in my life. I, I'm really surprised by everything that's presenting itself. And again, I'm saying yes to most, most things that feel right. You know, it's really about feeling safe in situations and having fun. I mean, I, it's real basic. You know, I want to have a good time. I want to work with nice people. I want to be around good people. I don't want toxicity and Same. drama. Yeah. You know, it's simple. It's really easy, simple things. So I too am really looking forward, forward to this next chapter. And let's keep following the threads and circle back. Yes, I'd like to. This has been so fun. I'm so glad I did it. Yay. Thank you for saying yes. Thank you for saying yes. I really appreciate your time. Uh, I'm so glad I did. I'm so glad. Yeah. And let's stay in touch. Yes, please. If you made it to the end of the episode, I want to thank you for listening all the way through. I know your time is valuable. There's so many things you could be doing. So I do really appreciate you making it to the end of this episode. And maybe you could do something for me. If you can like, subscribe, rate, review, comment, anything like that. It supports the podcast, other people hearing about it, and it reaching more people. And If you think of anyone who might enjoy this conversation, please share it with them. Thank you so very much. And if you want to let me know your thoughts on this episode, you can find me probably on Instagram at Amanda Decadene and let me know your thoughts. Thank you.